We are going to talk a little bit about sports and football this morning. Ah, ah. And I think I have a, a, a slide up on the screen to, to get started. We're going to look at Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 14 today. And I have a picture of Pat Mahomes here. We'll get to that in just a second. But what I noticed in studying these verses, and these verses have been part of my devotion of of wanting to apply what I'm learning from the word into my life in a practical way, and I'll get to that. But basically, I underlined these three uh, words. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Very familiar verse. Every one of those three terms or words are all sports-related. If you're familiar with the New Testament, I think you know that Paul, on a number of occasions, used sports metaphors in order to to make his point. He does it here. He does it in 2 Timothy, which we'll look at. If you believe he wrote Hebrews, which I kind of think he did, he mentions it in Hebrews, and he also mentions it in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And so how perfect the AFC and NFC championship games are today. Uh, After church, we're going to have free pizza. It doesn't get any better than that, does it? This is great. Now, I put Pat Mahomes up there because um, we are a sports crazy culture, aren't we? North America is, uh, actually, you could probably say the world right now is a sports crazy culture. Honestly, it was no different back in the first century in in the the Greco-Roman context. And this is why Paul uses terms and illustrations that everybody could understand because they were sports crazy. Think about Rome. The centerpiece or one of the centerpieces of Rome was the Colosseum. And one of the centerpieces of Greek culture was the Olympic Games. And so here you can see that as Paul's using these terms as we walk through this, he's he's connecting with his readers and it's no different today. Now I put Pat Mahomes up there just for fun because uh, last or a couple of weeks ago actually, the Chiefs and the Dolphins played a playoff game for the first time ever in the history of the NFL, it was behind a paywall. Meaning if you had uh, cable or a streaming service, if you didn't have the company that sponsored it, Paramount Plus, you had to pay to see the, the, uh, the playoff game. First time that's ever happened. And the response is it was the most streamed event ever in the history of America. So people had no problem ponying up along with their streaming service or along with their cable bill. People had no problem ponying up for this game. And what does that tell me? What does that tell you? Next year, there's going to be two behind paywalls, and eventually, probably all these major sports events, news events, entertainment events are all going to be behind paywalls, so I'm happy I could serve you with that good news today. All right, well, let's take a look. We'll start in chapter 3, verse 4, just to get a running start to see what Paul's talking about here, and I have the verses up on the screen. Paul enters into this conversation with his his readers in Philippi, and he says, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh. And so within the church, there was some trusting in their own understanding. There was their own rationale. There was their own worldview that Paul is trying to correct here. And we'll come back to that in just a second. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. I was circumcised on the eighth day. So now he's appealing to the, the Jewish people in the church circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. That's who Paul was. Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Paul here is addressing two groups of people. Directly, he's addressing what we would call in the New Testament vernacular, the Judaizers. And I guess the best way to understand the Judaizers is they said, if you will, I go to church. So that makes me a Christian. 
I, get, I got baptized. So that makes me a Christian. True or false to both of those? False. Yeah, by, we need to confess with our, in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead or, and confess with our lips that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we'll look at that in just a second. But here, Paul is addressing this group and saying, hey, listen, you guys think that in this instance, in the, in the Jewish economy, that this, this act of circumcision makes you automatically all right with God. It's almost like a badge of honor. And he's trying to say, no, that's not the case at all. Not the case at all. You, you need to have an attitude in your heart where you recognize Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And if you think about the idea of baptism, this is a, another great illustration. When I got born again, when I confessed Jesus as my Lord and Savior, back of an antique shop, Miami, Florida, 1980-83, it was years later as I grew in the Lord that I moved out to San Diego and my friend John Malkey baptized me in uh, Bonita Cove in probably 1989-1990, somewhere around there. And so the sequence was, I came to faith in Christ and then I, I, man, or I, I illustrated or showed my faith in Christ by being baptized. And that's the sequence. Actually, when you think about it theologically, faith and then works. And that's evidenced in the life of Abraham. In Genesis chapter 15, God reveals himself to Abraham. Abraham believed and his faith was reckoned to him as righteousness. And then in Genesis chapter 17, this is where the covenant of circumcision comes in. And so it's faith and then our faith should produce works, which is what Paul is talking about this morning. But he's got to correct this error first. And so first he, he addresses a theological point, but then also here there's a philosophical point because he's speaking to Greco-Romans who are in the church. And uh, actually, if you do the, the, the history, Joseph Hellerman wrote a great commentary on, Phil, on Philippians, and I learned so much out of it. But one of the things that he said is that Philippi was probably the most Roman Roman colony that Paul visited during his time around that Asia, uh, that Mediterranean cusp. In fact, Luke goes so far in Acts chapter 16 is calling Philippi, of all the things he could call it, he called it a Roman colony. And here, what Paul is doing is he's, he's kind of mirroring their culture. And by that, I mean honor was everything in the Greco-Roman culture. Honor, status, esteem, showing off who you were so everybody could see how wonderful you were. Thank God they didn't have social media at that time, right? <laughs> oh my goodness. But honor was everything. And so what Paul does here is he builds what I would call an honor resume. He is saying, I was at the top of the heap. No one, there was only one person, the high priest that was higher than I. There was really no one who had a higher pedigree than I had. I had the resume of resumes and I gave it all up, which we'll see for Christ. He does the same thing in, in, the, in the verse, I'm sorry, the chapter previously where he talks about Jesus and Jesus was the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But what did he do? He was God. He considered himself equal with God. But then what did he do? He lowered his honor status and became a slave to the, to the point of death. And then ultimately he was restored to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, where Paul exclaims at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess to the glory of the Father. And so there's a Greco-Roman image that's taking place in here that is Paul's using to connect to his readers. And in essence, he's saying, I don't care how big your resume is. I don't care how many followers you have on Facebook. I don't know, I don't care how popular you are on TikTok. It doesn't matter. What matters is in whom you believe. And that's where Paul heads in verses seven and nine. He says, but what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost. And watch how many times he uses the word lost. He just discards his past. 
What, gain, what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things, not some things, all things loss for what? For the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. That word rubbish is as nasty a word that you can concoct to think about rubbish, about garbage. That's the word he used. It was just he got his reader's attention with some very strong language here. He said, I had suffered the loss of all things. I count him as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is, which is from God by faith. And so in essence, what he's saying here, it's not about what I've done, it's in whom I believe. And the person in whom I believe that I have a personal relationship with now, from that point, he, he forgives me, he extends his righteousness to me, he regenerates me, he takes me from spiritual death to spiritual life, he takes me from death row and translates me into the kingdom of the son of his love. I'm in his palace now, and I have all of the benefits and all the perks that come with being a child of someone who owns a palace. And so what a transaction that takes place here. And Paul sees it. And Paul recognized it, and it never, Paul was never the same because of it. We're much the same way, those of us who have walked walk with the Lord, that you go from darkness to light. You go from being lost to having your own righteousness to spinning your wheels to now all of a sudden you're not an orphan anymore. You've been brought into the kingdom of God and given all of the, the perks that come with being a child of the king. That's how much he desperately loves you. And because of that, it should naturally change our lives. It should naturally change our lives. We have a new nature, and so we should have a new behavior. And this is what Paul is after here. He's, he's presenting the idea of righteousness by faith, not righteousness by church attendance, not righteousness by baptism, not righteousness by giving a bunch of money, righteousness by faith. And then in verses 10 through 12, he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. And we'll come back to that statement in a second. Not that I've already attained. So there's an element of humility here, and he recognizes that his journey is, is still a work in progress, or am already perfected, but I press on. A very strong uh, ad, uh, verb there. I press on. I am diligent. I have a goal, and I'm going to accomplish it. That I may lay hold, our sports term, I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. And so there's an intimacy in these words here. The knowledge of, of him, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed into the image of his death. It's a recognition where now Jesus is my king and I'm going to follow him. I'm going to deny myself. I'm going to pick up my cross. I'm going to follow him. Come what may. I have a new residency. I have a new uh, uh, permanent resident card. And because of that, I'm going to behave like a resident of the palace of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But there's also something else that he tucks in here because there's a lot of energy here. There's a lot of action. And you could easily say, okay, Paul, you're going to kind of pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and with your own energy and your own charisma and your own intellect, you're going to make this happen. Not true. Now, there is an element of our volition or our will that, that comes in any decision in life, any walk of life, and it also translates into our Christian world as well, because otherwise Paul wouldn't be talking in such strident terms about athletics and running the race to win. 
But we have to remember, we have to remember, we have to remember that first is faith and then works. And here Paul says at the, at the end of this sentence, he says that I may lay hold. Oh, wait a minute. You're going to work hard. You're going to lay hold. Well, what, what, what's the anchor here? I'll lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. The finished work of the cross, the empty tomb, the resurrection, the ascension, our faith in the finished work of what Jesus has done for us. He lays hold of us, forgives us of our sins and translates us into the kingdom of the son of his love. And from that point, everything changes as we move forward. So as Jesus has loved me, I'm able to love others. As Jesus is patient with me, I'm able to be patient with others. As Jesus has suffered and left me a model, an example of what it means to suffer for righteousness, I'm able to, to live that life and, and live uh, with the ability to suffer when righteousness is called upon me. And so all Paul is doing here is just basically reacting. He laid hold of me, and so I'm going to lay hold of his life in my life, and I'm going to run the race to win. You think about the, the Washington Monument. What's, uh, here's a trivia question. What's in front of the Washington Monument? Any, any travelers, historians? The mall? Yeah, the reflecting pool. Jay, you had it right. Yeah, there's a reflecting pool in front of the Washington Monument. So the, the, the reflecting pool reflects um, the, the Washington, Washington Commander's football stadium. No, the reflecting pool reflects um, a, a picture of all the former presidents. No, stupid, I'm being dumb here, uh, as, as usual. Um, the reflecting pool is that obelisk, that Washington monument reflects the obelisk. And that water, as still as it is, it, I mean, you've seen it probably before, people will take pictures of the reflecting pool, kind of like a gotcha, because the image is so clear and so, so well-defined that you can't tell one from the other. Well, it's the same way that with our Christian walk, isn't it? As we are born again and we're, we are regenerated, we're taken from spiritual death to spiritual life, we're promised eternity with God. What we want to do now is we want to still those waters as much as we can so that we reflect the master. We don't have to make the image. We just have to reflect the image. And the stiller the water is, the, the more you're going to be able to, to see it. I, I take my, or Greta and I take our little dog, our little black lab down to Fiesta Island uh, several days uh, a week to give her some exercise. And, and um, it's a, she swims like a mile a day. She's just down there. And I throw rocks in front of her as we walk and she just swims and swims and swims. And unfortunately, over the last couple of days, because the, the, the high amount of rain we've gotten, a lot of organic material and some inorganic material, um, <laughs> we picked up a lot of trash in the last couple of days. But a lot of organic material has come, has come down, a lot of leaves, a lot of twigs. There, there are some, some uh, tree branches and things like that. And because Fiesta Island doesn't really have a, a wave or you know the tide is there, but it's not that, that strong, a lot of this stuff just mounts up out in the water. So as you're looking at the water, what used to be glass last week is now kind of bumpy. It looks like wavy gravy. You know, there's just a lot of bumpiness out there. And my poor little dog, she's like a scuba diver trying to go around all this stuff and she gets caught up in it. But the idea here is water just reflects whatever's in front of it. It should be the same way in our Christian walk. Jesus has laid hold of us. And so now it's our utmost for his highest. We want to do everything we can to pursue the upward goal of the prize in Christ Jesus, to reflect his character and his nature. And this is what Paul's after in these verses. And then in verses 13 and 14, once again, he comes back humbly and says, listen, I'm, I'm just like you. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm working 
to, to be pleasing in God's eyes. I'm trying to still that water. I don't count myself to have apprehended. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, and here's our sports terms, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. And so time out just a second. How are you doing with that? And that question is not intended to lay guilt on you. That question is not intended to get you to work. The idea here is how is your still waters? How are you manifesting God's image in your life? How are you acclimating? He's, he, is, he has found you. He has rescued you. How is that translating into your daily life? That's what it means to be a Christian. Um, I had lunch with uh, Roger, had double burgers, fries. My wife was out of town for a couple days. Oops, did I say that? I, I, <laughs> but Roger and I, Ro- Roger's sitting over there, and we were, we were uh, visiting brother to brother and having, having lunch uh, Friday. And we just got on the topic of our Christian walk, and both of us just decided, you know, I don't want any room for compromise. Now, I'm not perfect. I haven't apprehended. I still make mistakes and stumble. But at the end of the day, I don't want to make any excuses for sin, period. What comes out of my mouth, the attitude of my heart, the work of my hands, as, I don't know, it's one of the devotional things that have these verses resonate with me right now. It's like, I don't want to give any room for sin. And I mentioned last week that there's just been a lot of stress and pressure in my life personally over the last uh, four or five months. And I could make all kinds of excuses to let things slip, let things, oh, I'll get back to that. I'll, I'll, I'll get back to not compromising and, and once all this is over. Uh-uh. I mean, my friend Roger's going through cancer treatment right now. He's doing well, but here he is, and he has every excuse to slack off, and he encouraged me by not wanting to, to compromise. So... Roger, I salute you. Thanks for paying for lunch, too. (laughs) All right. So you get the gist here. Paul is speaking to this church, and he's just reminding him, reminding his readers of everything that we, we know already that we just need to put into practice. So how are you doing with this idea? How is your reflecting pool? Does your life mirror more and more each day the image of Jesus, or is there bumps and things in there that just God's grace needs to, needs to smooth those out. And isn't Jesus so sweet that even in those areas where we, we stumble and fall or even we may have strongholds, if we're willing to hand them over to the Lord and trust him, he's able to winnow and to thin and to parse and just to help us to, to let those things go. Grace is a wonderful, wonderful attribute for conquering sin, isn't it? Okay, so what I did is in all my wisdom here, I concocted four things. Here's Paul's championship game plan, okay? Are you ready? All right, firstly, no trust in self, total trust in Jesus. Again, the verses, Paul said, I count everything I've done. My little honor resume doesn't mean anything to me. What means everything to me is to know Jesus, my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things. I don't care. And I count them as rubbish that I do my, I may what? I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. So Paul basically just gave, he forsook everything. And as we know by history, he had a lot to give up. He was, you could call him like the Elon Musk of his day. He had so much to give up and he did it with joy because he found a greater prize. And and, and the idea of trust here is he recognized that he was a sinner 
He recognized that God loved him, but he also recognized that he was a sinner and he fell short of God's grace and justice and holiness. And left to himself, there was no answer to that. But then one day on the Damascus road, he ran into this guy. His name was Jesus. And Jesus appeared to him and Jesus offered him the gospel message, which he offers to all of us. Christ died for our sins. God dwelt bodily in the flesh in order to pay the price for our sins. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that through him we might be given the righteousness of God. And that's the gospel. The gospel is you will perish without this this substitutionary death of Jesus, the burial of Jesus, and then the resurrection of Jesus. And Paul latched onto that with all his heart and recognized, and he believed in his heart, that God raised Jesus from the dead. He confessed with his lips that Jesus Christ is Lord and he was never the same to the point where he says here, I am never going back. My identity is not in these grand accomplishments that I, that I uh, appropriated in my life. My identity now is to know him, the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Right on, Paul. What a great example for us. And so number one, there's no trust in self. There is total trust in Jesus. Secondly, there's a a future goal here. He was motivated by a future with Jesus. And if I will, let's come back to Philippians chapter three, verse 11, because Paul makes the statement. He says, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. And Paul is not speaking here in the present tense. He already discussed that, that the power of the resurrection was something that was manifest in his life and was working through his life to still the waters. But here he's saying, you know what? There's a kingdom that's eternal and I'm living, I'm trying to live it out in my life right now. But ultimately when my flesh is done, I am going to be with Jesus for eternity and that resurrection power will be everlasting upon everlasting. And so what Paul's doing here is he's thinking of the future. We realize as Christians that we live on this earth. We realize that our time is limited, but I also remember that my soul is, is, my citizenship is in heaven. And when I die, I'm going to live with him for eternity. And so when you think about, as far as an example, you think about uh, a future with Jesus coming back to the sports analogy, uh, the point spread today. The point spread for the 49ers, they're at home, so they're favored by seven. And I'm not endorsing gambling by any means. I, the NFL doesn't need help with that anymore. Um, the, the Niners are favored by seven, and the Ravens are favored because they're at home. They're favored by four, three and a half, something like that, or, or, or four. So imagine these guys are in the, in the locker room right now. They're probably there now, and they're probably gearing up. And uh, they come in, they see the papers, and oh, we're favored by seven. The 49ers uh, players say, hey, wow, touchdown. That's a lot in a playoff game. You know, guys, let's just ease off a little bit. You know, we don't need to worry about it. We're seven-point favorites. We can just kind of coast, and we'll see where we are in the fourth quarter and if we need to work hard. Do you think any of them are thinking that right now? Heck no. They are one game away from going to Lollapalooza. They're one game away from the Super Bowl. And so they could care less about point spreads. All they care about is winning that game. That's one of the reasons this is one of my favorite sports Sundays is because there's no hype. There's... There's no uh, pomping uh, or circumstance in these games. It's just guys playing hard-nosed football. But they're, they have their eyes on the prize. And so I guess coming back to our Christian walk, all right, well, where are your eyes fixed? Do you recognize that your citizenship is in heaven? Or are you growing roots in this world that when the storms come, the foundation won't be able to hold up? 
We want to live our lives as, as if the kingdom of God is within us now because it is and working itself through us as Sean made reference to as far as having that power to, to share the kingdom of God with the world around us. Ultimately, that's where our citizenship lies and we want to be accountable to that. We want to appreciate it, but we also want to be accountable to it and recognize that's my ultimate goal. This game today, no, this game is a stepping stone to get to that game. And that game is a stepping stone to get to the, the platform with the, with the trophy. Christianity, hey, you know what? I'm, I enjoy my life. I enjoy all the privileges that come with living in this country and living in the West. But this is not, my, my citizenship is not here. I want to keep a light touch on those things because ultimately my citizenship is in heaven. And that starts right now. So uh, in Timothy, uh, coming back to the, the, <clears throat> the sports metaphors or illustrations, here Paul mentions this idea to Timothy, and he says, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I've kept the faith. Finally, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. That, that would be the future resurrection. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. And so the fight, that's a sports analogy. The race, that's a sports, sports analogy. The crown of righteousness, again, going right back to the Olympic Games, that's a sports analogy. But what Paul is doing is reminding Timothy, there's a future. There is a future, and that ultimately is where our passport lies. We enjoy the privileges of living in this country, but that's our real home. So we're motivated by a future with Jesus. Thirdly, we're engaged in each moment with Jesus. Sports metaphor again, uh, <clears throat> whether you love or hate the New England Patriots, they certainly were good at what they did for a long time. Bill Belichick, six Super Bowl trophies. No, no other coach <clears throat> can claim that. He's this close, if he gets another job, to probably being the all-time most winning coach uh, in the history of the NFL, which is, that's a pretty high praise and a high achievement. But one of the things I remember, and I use one of his articles about leadership uh, for one of my, the classes that I teach. And one of the things that he mentions all the time to his players is do your job. Do your job. Don't do their job. Don't do a job that you think you should be doing. Don't do a job that you want the media or the fans to do. You do your job. Keep your nose in the game. Keep yourself rooted in the fundamentals of what you've been called to do, what your job description is. And that way the team succeeds. And so I thought about that this week. And when Paul says that not that I've already attained or I'm already perfected, I press on, I'm moving forward that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Boy, there's a vision statement there. I wanna lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. I want my pool, my reflecting pool, to look like Jesus. And so here, Paul is, is he's laser-focused. He's laser-focused, engaged in each moment with Jesus. For me, it's when I get behind the wheel of the car. I'm assessing, how do I do from point A to point B? Am I, am I rude, impatient? I need to correct these things. Um, almost to the point where I'm like, I want to wear a rubber band around my hand to remind myself to don't drive like a New Yorker. Don't do that. That's, the, that's not a kingdom value. But, but it's the same thing, the things that come out of, of my mouth, the, the, the attitude of my heart with people. Constantly, just for myself personally, I'm constantly surveying these things, or I guess the bigger picture, I'm allowing the Holy Spirit to, to survey the attitude of my heart, the words of my mouth, and, and the actions of my hands constantly. And not to the point where it's, it's religious, 
but just to the point where I want to be like I want to be like Jesus. He saved me and rescued me from so much. He's forgiven me of so much. I never want to go back to that. I never want to take that for granted. And I always want to lay hold of what has already been laid hold of me. I want to reflect Jesus. And that means doing the little things, doing my job. Walk humbly, do justly, love mercy. Exercise the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, meekness, faithfulness, and self-control. I could go on about some of the attributes of how we should behave as Christians in the New Testament. Paul says the same thing in Hebrews. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our, our, our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, has sat down at the right hand of the Father. Once again, he was just so captured by Jesus. He was so thankful for what he'd been forgiven. He cast off that, and because Jesus laid hold of him, he laid hold of Jesus with vigor and with passion to the point where he's using these sports metaphor. I am in it to win it. I'm in it to win it. No if, ands, or buts. I want to do everything I can to still my pool so that when you see me, you see Jesus. And then lastly, having a game plan with Jesus. Here, Paul lays it out. He says, brethren, I don't count myself to have apprehended. No, we are still moving forward. I'm not resting on my laurels. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press. I am moving with diligence towards a goal. I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And he says something similar to the church in Corinth. He says, using a sports metaphor, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. You want to be a steward of, of all things in your life. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore, I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. He had a game plan. Run the race to win. Run. Uh, as, a, as a Christian, I, I, I just don't want to compromise. I don't want to be one foot in and one foot out. I, like I said, I've been forgiven of so much, and I appreciate God's grace in my life only every day that I simply want to respond to the goodness that he's given to me and be a Christian. I don't want to be a follower, I want to be a disciple. And I know you're the same way. I want to be a disciple. I want to know him. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings if it, if it comes to that. I want to be an authentic Christian because our world desperately needs authenticity, grace, and forbearance. They need Jesus. Our, our, our country is, as we know, in many cases, is just tearing itself to pieces. Our, our communities are tearing themselves in pieces. Families are tearing themselves in pieces. And we need, we need in some cases, to, to run the race to win. We, we need to be authentic Christians. But remember, it all starts with Jesus laid hold of you. He changed your character and your nature. And now, simply reflect that change into your life. Let's all be a reflecting pool for Jesus. Amen? Amen. Lord, uh, thank you so much for this encouragement. I know for me, it's... Um, I, it's so easy for me to make excuses, especially when the, the kettle's boiling 
And uh, I know for myself with uh, just fires on a couple of fronts in my life personally and professionally over the last several months, it's just very easy to get impatient. It's very easy to get judgmental. It's very easy to get rude or selfish. And all of these little weeds, want they want their place in the garden of my heart. And like Roger, I, I, I don't want to compromise. I don't want an excuse. Well, I'm tired. Well, I've had a hard day. Well, I, I don't, there's no excuse. I want to run the race to win. And so thank you that you have equipped us to be able to run the race to win. You've changed us from spiritual death to spiritual life. You've regenerated us. You've forgiven us. You've promised us eternity. You allow us now into your family to be conformed into your identity. And we, we want to make the most of that, Lord. Thank you again that it's about you, that we're responding to the wonderful grace that you've bestowed upon us. But may we run this race to win. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm-hmm.